Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. It's Wednesday. It's May 3rd. It is 932 on the East Coast. We are streaming live on Rumble. I see you all in the uh, the super chat over here on my right. So thanks so much for joining me for this show. going to do a little bit uh, different move than I've been used to doing. We're going to bring on a guest live, which hopefully works out, and uh, I'll appreciate all of your patience as we do so. We had some breaking developments that were uh, brought to me yesterday, and uh, in fact, yesterday evening. I uh, got a chance to talk to some people on the Federal Air Marshal Service. And so we're going to be bringing on our previous guest. I'm going to be bringing on Sonia Labosco to talk about something that just happened. I think you all are going to very much want to hear what this is. And if uh, you don't think that the FBI listens to this podcast, I would suggest to you that they probably do based on what we're going to hear. Uh, before we do that, I want to talk really quickly about our sponsor, Patriot Cooler. If you go to patriotcoolers.com, you can pick up a fancy tumbler. Look at that. We can actually, we got to get a suspendables version like this. You can see uh, we've got this OD green tumbler right here. This is what I'm using for coffee right now, which I'm going to be definitely needing. And uh, you can check out their hard-sided, their soft-sided tumblers. They've got a backpack that I've also been pretty favorable on. It's patriotcoolers.com. Promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, gets you 10% off. Uh, free shipping over 50 bucks. So if you buy any of their, their coolers, you're good to go on that. And uh, it also supports... Disabled veterans, they've given up to uh, almost $400,000 to support disabled vets and to move things along for them to be able to uh, access their house in a better way. So again, patriotcoolers.com, Kyle, the, the promo code that will save you 10%, K-Y-L-E, and we do appreciate them. I'm going to uh, roll right over here, and let's just see how this goes. Um, give me one second, because we're going to bring on our guest, and we're just going to just rock and roll here. So I'm going to turn on the microphones here. So Sonia, hang tight here. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Kyle Serafin show again, my friend. And, uh, uh, you got a new microphone. You got a, a great setup over there and, uh, how, how you sounding? Let's hear it. I, I think I'm sounding pretty good. You let me know. Hopefully the listeners can hear me fine. That's right. Yeah. It sounds really good. All right. Uh, and I may actually uh, ask you to stick around for a moment too. If people have some questions, which they certainly can fire away. I'll be looking at the chat y'all if you want to see that. But, uh, Sonia, you called me yesterday to share some information. I'm going to just hand it over to you. Um, my platform is yours. Let's tell people what's going on. Well, Kyle, as we're walking down this crazy path together, uh, yesterday I got a phone call regarding, you know, the story that, that you were reporting on regarding the air marshal and his wife that were being followed because she attended, um, you know, President Trump's uh, speech at the Ellipse. Well, yesterday, amazing enough, two FBI agents came and knocked on their door and wanted to um, question them or question his wife regarding her travel to Washington, D.C. So, Quite amazing. Two and a half years we've been trying to push this and bring it together. And then lo and behold, we're on your show. And next thing you know it, there's some some door knocking happening uh, regarding what we reported on earlier. Now, you reported on this story at UncoverDC.com. People can go read the article you wrote. And this is the same couple. Is that correct? That is correct. This is the same couple that has been trying to get some type of uh, reprieve from this uh, harassment, intimidation for the last two plus years. And uh, we don't know if they're gonna get that yet or not, but they did get two visitors at their door yesterday from the FBI. Uh, I don't wanna recap our whole interview, but I do think it's worth covering this story since we're talking about it. Maybe give the uh, the background and uh, we can use a pseudonym. I think you used the name Bill in the article. So for people that are gonna to refer to that article later, maybe retell this story a little bit. I think it's worth hearing. I think it's worth doubling down on, especially when the Bureau thinks it's worth coming to their door. Okay, so in January the 11th, 2021, um, the Air Marshal National Council, we received information that the FBI had requested in a complete manifest for anyone that flew into the National Capital Region between January the 3rd and January the 7th. You could give it a day or two in between there. It could have been the 1st to the 8th. But when we found out that the FBI had requested this list, we also found out that the TSA had taken the exact list that they had given to the FBI and they ingested it into the TSA National Database System. And what that meant that anybody that was in that system was going to be flagged for as a selectee, which would have quad S's on your boarding pass. A few months after we got this information, well, we took a, 
action immediately. We went to the administrator, TSA administrator, David Pekoski, and we told the administrator, this is going to be a debacle. We need you to investigate why TSA took this list from the FBI, FBI and ingested it into the national uh, database. Of course, he had no response. We reached out to some, con some contacts in Congress, and they sent a few letters out on behalf of um, Bill and his wife, who Bill is a air federal air marshal, has given over 20 years of service to the federal air marshals and then 27 years of service in the government total. So he's had a top secret clearance his entire career. He's very trustworthy, credible individual. And when he was uh, went back to duty as a federal air marshal, Bill opened his computer and he sees a photograph of his wife in the computer system, which states she is a suspected domestic terrorist of 102 and that she had entered the Capitol. She did travel to D.C. on uh, January the 4th to meet with some friends, have dinner, and then she attended President Trump's speech. But after the speech, she went home. She has phone records to prove that, Uber Lyft receipts, uh, timestamp receipts where she ate at the hotel, um, cell phone records to show that she you know, went back to her hotel and was never near the Capitol. So Bill, seeing this information, he goes straight to his supervisor and says, hey, we have a problem because my wife is not a domestic terrorist. There's been a mistake. Something's not right with this. I need you to help correct it. And the supervisor tells him, well, you can't tell her. You have to keep this quiet, and we just have to let this work out. Right. Now, you were a cop, and uh, you have a basic understanding of constitutional law. Neither of us are lawyers, but uh, we've worked with the law, right? And That's right. In, in your understanding— is there any requirement under any criminal process that the person that is accused has to prove that they're innocent? Is that is that the way our system is set up? You have to prove your innocence? It is not. It is completely backwards. Um, she she never even entered the Capitol, but it, it listed in the mission report for all the air marshals to see who ever followed her throughout these entire years that she broke into the Capitol. I mean, that is an absolute lie. It's slanderous. Uh, whoever did this in that national database and whoever the people are that have done this to thousands of Americans, you're going to be discovered. It's going to come out. There will be a time that we're going to be able to talk about those individuals that manipulated this computer system and caused this great harm to these to this couple and to other Americans as well. This isn't just a one incident situation. This has happened multiple times. Absolutely. Now, uh, one of the gentlemen that's been in our chat, and he's been really good about showing up to our live shows, Eric Jason. Uh, I see you out there, buddy. And he says he's a disabled vet in a wheelchair. There's something kind of specific about Bill's wife that uh, should add some credibility to the story that she doesn't have to prove. But uh, but it does seem to kind of indicate that she's she's not lying. What What is that sort of information on the background? Well, unfortunately, she had a stroke after childbirth, and her left side is paralyzed. She doesn't even have use of her left arm. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, she's very labored when she's walking. Uh, it's it's difficult. It takes her a lot longer to walk. She doesn't walk at a fast pace. And unfortunately, yesterday wasn't. It's not. I'm going to tell this story. I don't think it's it's funny, but I want to show the gist of of the two visitors of the FBI agents that came to their home. Uh, the FBI agent ask her, he says, oh, what did you twist your ankle? It took you a while to get into the kitchen. Um, yeah, she didn't twist her ankle. She has a disability that, that in, you know, impedes her from walking normal. Right. So you've got, um, and, and have you ever seen people with strokes before? Is that someone, something you've, you've experienced in your uh, career? Yes, I have. Yes. It's fairly marked when, especially one-sided weakness, one-sided dis disabilities, people that can't move. Like you said, she can't move her left arm properly. Her left leg is obviously going to be a difficulty. She's dragging and moving it with, with some, um, some labored movements. And uh, most likely probably has a little bit on the side of her speech. Like that's usually the way it works. The left side of the face is usually affected as well. And so here you have a, a federal agent, an FBI agent who... The FBI loves to call themselves the premier federal law enforcement agency. I don't know how true that is, but they love it. Um, I think everybody should call themselves the premier agency, whatever your agency is. whatever. If you're a local cop, just tell people you're the premier law enforcement agency in the world because uh, the FBI does it and they don't have to prove it. So you got this guy, it's theoretically a, a criminal investigator, right? Somebody who's supposed to be a keen observer. And how long have they had this case? Uh, since January the 11th, 2021. Okay, so we've got a case here that you've had for three plus years, and you're going to finally come out and do what we would call either a subject interview or you're doing a, a, a contact interview to try to see what the situation looked like. 
And this agent is unable to pick up on, one, the fact that she was disabled uh, in this way for the whole three years, right? And then the second piece is, is that he doesn't recognize what he's looking at when he sees someone walking. Now, we did some background on the guy. Um, I don't have anything negative about uh, the agent that showed up. I do have a little bit negative about the female agent that showed up. Apparently, she uh, was involved in married to another agent and then, uh, you know, sleeping with a different agent in her office kind of thing. Pretty classic. Uh, I don't need to put her name out there in the world, but she knows who she is and I know who she is. And uh, and I know people who know who she is. That's the way that it works in the FBI, as you probably know in the fabs. It's not a big world, right? Very small world. Pretty, pretty easy to find out what kind of human being you are and, and what you're all about. And she's probably been around long enough to know better. So you've got these folks that uh, theoretically keen observers. Um, one of the things that they they brought up in this interview, as I'm told, was um, the sort of, you know, can you disprove us? And they were asking for photographs and things like that. Is that does that sound right to your hearing as well? That's, that is correct, Kyle. They were. And, and what were they trying to ascertain with this information, you think? You've done this kind of job. You've done it as a cop, too, when you're trying to elicit information from people. Uh, they were just trying to gather information so they could go back and 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 make it appear like that she was an actual threat when she was not. And you think that it would be pretty easy to pick up somebody walking in a limp with a you know severe limp and a and a disabled left side in surveillance video when you see a bunch of people walking around? You've seen the Capitol videos, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, um, most of those videos you have people walking at a fast pace, even maybe a, a bum rush here or there. Mm -hmm. um, nobody. I saw in any of those videos with the stroke was uh, participating in anything uh, at the Capitol that day that I saw on all the videos I've watched. So I've got you on here. We're, we're just kind of uh, kind of riffing free freestyle here in some ways. Are you familiar with the case about uh, the Hoopers? This is the, the couple that were in Alaska that had their door kicked in. Yes, I am. So one of the things we know about their case is that uh, they were, first of all, it was mistaken identity. They weren't the right people. And um, so they were accused of holding on to Nancy Pelosi's laptop, which got a SWAT team at their door. So that's always fun. At least uh, at least Bill and his wife didn't get the SWAT team treatment, right? Uh, yeah, it, I'm surprised that they didn't based on, you know, as much exposure as this story has gotten. And it's really sad that it's taken um, us as Americans to go and fight for other Americans to get the government to do their job. You would think, right? And you'd also think that people that are in this career field would be able to use some discretion. I, I was always given a little bit of discretion. It's not the same as a mission package. Um, if you know somebody sends a lead to you and they say, "Hey, go interview this person," you can do it over the phone. Um, you can, you know, send contact if they have uh, representation. And out of curiosity, uh, are Bill and his wife represented by attorneys? They are. Yes, they are. And was that asked of of them? It. it I think they disclosed that they were represented by an attorney. Yes, they disclosed that. Yes. Now, when you were a cop, if somebody told you they were represented, did, did your department have a, you know, go ahead and keep talking kind of thing? Or was it a, well, we're going to have to discontinue and get your attorney involved? Uh, we would discontinue and get the attorney involved because once somebody notifies you they have representation, you shouldn't speak with them unless they've gone through their attorney. Right. And that's just a fairness doctrine. I mean, that's the way that I always, I never pushed anybody beyond that. That's not the guy, the game. The game is to, to just fair process. Nobody cares what the result is. Right. And it's true. And and if you look at this case, let's go back. What evidence did they have in the first place? Who lied and manipulated that national computer database and put that she broke into the Capitol? I want to talk to that person, Kyle. I want that person to come forward. Whoever had the gumption to do that, you know, this wasn't a mistake. There was criminal intent that was done here. This is not a mistake. This is a lie. And when you were talking to us the other day, you mentioned that there's even federal agents, not just spouses of federal agents, but there's actually federal agents that are on this list as well, right? I mean, these are active, actively carrying a gun on a plane on behalf of the federal government and yet marked by TSA and, and therefore the FAMS as domestic terrorists. That is correct. We're following U.S. Marshals. We followed other FBI agents. We followed anybody that may have flown into the national capital region that day. Um, TSA has no boundaries. They follow anyone. I'm surprised we're not following a nine-month-old baby uh, because the mom had her on a flight. I mean, it's amazing to me. We're following six-year-olds, nine-year-olds, uh, disabled veterans who lost their legs in Afghanistan uh, that are in wheelchairs that can't walk. I didn't see too many wheelchairs running through the Capitol that day either uh, during this uh, incident at the Capitol so I'm not sure why we're following, you know, military veterans that don't have legs uh, throughout the United States. 
And you're not just making up these examples. These are these are things no. that people have reported to you. So we're not just sitting here, you know, spitballing. Uh, they could be following people without legs. You're telling us no. that people without legs that are American service veterans that were amputees from their military service are legitimately being followed by federal air marshals who are complaining to your national council because somebody nominated them as potential or existing domestic terrorists. This is correct. And these aren't people we're following once. I mean, we're following these people over and over and over because they're on the list. So if they fly, they have teams of air marshals. And I get calls every day with, um, I won't say complaints. The, the guys and girls are disgusted. They don't want to do this. This is, it doesn't feel good for them. They're not looking for the real bad guys and they know it. The quality of what, what they're doing is nothing. This is about quantity and metrics and just pumping up uh, cases for either TSA and the FBI to go back to Congress and get more money in their budget. And I, and I don't want us to completely rehash our, our former interview, but this I think all this stuff is, uh, I think this is something that needs to be in the, the public sphere. We have to continue this message because the surveillance, the one place that people probably feel like they've gotten away from anything weird, it's like you're in your car, somebody could follow you. You're at the mall, somebody could walk around after you. You go through this uh, security checkpoints in an airport, uh, a lot of people feel very safe there because that's the the no gun zone. The only people that are you know carrying a gun they think are the the marked law enforcement folks, whether they be a you know a, a cop at the airport or whether they're security guard there or something to that effect. And the TSA officers wearing all their you know their uh, paraphernalia. This is the one place when kind of people let their guard down. You see people show up in their pajamas, right? Like that didn't happen when I was a kid, but they do. They feel very comfortable in this space, and and they're being surveilled, um, sometimes photographed. Uh, I want to double back to this Hooper thing that we were talking about. There's ways that you identify people. And I know you probably got some of this training as a cop, and you certainly must have gotten some as a federal air marshal because you guys are following people. You got to positively ID your subjects, right? That's exactly right. You do. What are some of the physical characteristics that uh, you could – so who – for people who don't know, it's, it's actually a fairly difficult task. It's kind of an art form to learn how to take a photograph and transmit that into a 3D image of a human being that you're going to follow around. But there are tip, tips that you can do. There are ways that professionals do it to sort of rule people in or rule them out. Uh, some of the physical characteristics that you immediately go looking for to ID people, what, what were you trained on? Well, you look at a lot of things. You look at you look at their hair, their hairline. You look at their nose, their nose structure, um, their lips, lips. Right are very prominent. And then of course their ears, you know, when you look at ears, ears don't change. So if someone doesn't have earlobes, then they're not your person, right? If you, if you're going out and you're interviewing someone and you notice that they have dropped ears or earlobes, or they don't have earlobes, that's probably not the suspect picture that you, you have that you're supposed to be looking for. So those are four quick ways that you can do it. Of course, there's many other things. You've got mannerisms, you've got voice, you've got other things that you could have a copy of a videotape or you could see how somebody walks or, you know, there's physical traits there too, but those are the most recognizable on, on someone's face when you're trying to identify um, a bad guy or a bad girl. And when you're doing your analysis, uh, because people who are doing surveillance are often handing off to another team, right? Like you, you're, the fams are handing off to um, another surveillance team that may be on the ground or they're handing off to another fam team at some point. Uh, do you pass on notes that are notable? Like this person actually has a new tattoo and it's, you know, it's on the back of their neck or things that are, you know, um, easily recognizable characteristics. I've never seen us pass on any information like that. Really? Never. Oh, <laughs> I have not. It's just I going not, into the, never. it's going not into once. the ether. So, uh, when I did it for, for the FBI, that was one of the things we would always add to the case notes because you want to be able to PID them positively ID them for an arrest, for a SWAT team, someone who's never seen them before. You want to be able to hand it off and maybe they go to another area. So they look in the case notes. Um, but you mentioned gate or, or walking style, which we call gate analysis or the, or their, um, telltale gate, which, Bill's wife has a pretty telltale gait, right? You'd think that would make it into the the discussions of being able to ID somebody. Yes, I've I've seen her walk many times, and it's it's very prominent that uh, you can tell that she's she's doing the best that she can with her left leg, but it's not easy because that leg has been paralyzed from from a stroke. And then the same situation happened with the Hoopers uh, in Alaska, which is to say that the the woman who who was the uh, one of the individuals identified as possibly taking Pelosi's laptop. Um, and it was basically because she owned the same jacket in some strange scheme. I think Macy's made more than one of the same jacket and, uh, she was able to buy one and maybe thousands of other women were too. And one of them happened to be at the Capitol, but, uh, 
she apparently has a thing called face blindness, which I'd never heard of, and she couldn't actually recognize the faces in the photograph shown, but she hones in on characteristics, just like we talked about, specific and tangible things that her eyes can recognize. And uh, it was the difference in earlobes, as you just mentioned there. Some people have what they call detached, which is to say sort of a hanging earlobe. I think I've got a detached earlobe. So I've got hanging earlobes. Some of my kids do it too. And then there's a genetic component that some people have attached earlobes, where it just it doesn't uh, it doesn't have a gap between the the ear and the head. There's actually it just goes straight down. You called it no earlobes. I think they still have some earlobe a little bit there. But uh, this woman didn't you know, she didn't have the same characteristics as the basic photograph so that the FBI is no stranger to blowing it um, when it comes to these kind of things. Obviously, what about the fans? You guys get the wrong people ever? Yeah, we get the wrong people. Well, I mean, it, it happens. There's times that it happens. I mean, you mistake an identity, someone that looks familiar like the person you're looking for. Yes, it, it does happen. We do that sometimes. And when you do, there's no recourse. You're just following the wrong person. It just happens sometimes. And you write it up, and you, usually you're supposed to say, uh, subject not observed, and then scrap all the observations you have. Uh, I'm sure some of them make it into a case file too, though. I'm, I'm sure. It, it just depends on the integrity of the person. Like, if you make a mistake, you should just admit it. Uh, there's no penalty or punishment for you telling the truth, right? When you make a mistake and you're, you've got the wrong person, you just should say, I've got the wrong person. But unfortunately, that doesn't that doesn't happen as often as it should uh, when we make mistakes in, in our profession. 100%. 100% agree with that. It all comes down to the individual integrity. Do you think that uh, given the same sort of lead, let's say you're put in the position, I'm, I'm putting you in the position of a cop investigator, you know, a little bit outside of the fam range, but I know you did these kind of things. Uh, someone hands you the lead and says, go knock on this door 27 months after the date and go find out if this woman who they should know something about was actually in the Capitol. Um, are you incentivized to go and, and, and do that interview? Is that a phone interview? And then the minute you find out they're represented, does that change it for you? Well, I mean, I'd have to look at the case file. What evidence do you have? Show me what you, why you think this individual went into the Capitol. Show me why you put on a document that she entered the Capitol. Do you have a picture of her? Do you have her social media? Do you have something that indicates the fact that she broke into the Capitol? I mean, I'd have a lot of questions if I was given this specific case and it's the way that it is now and the, what I have seen associated with it. I would have a big problem as an investigator to go out and, and harass someone without any evidence whatsoever. It makes sense to me. And uh, so as far as accountability goes, I'm going to kind of part with this one. I want to give you a chance to to advise people because I think people are always looking like, what can I do? What's the something that I can go out there and be active on? Do you have any uh, concrete ideas that people can uh, take action on? you know, um, as a non-law enforcement individual, not someone who's going to have to hold the line, but someone who's just looking at this problem and saying, what, you know, God, what, what is my part of this? Because I know people do want to do something. Well, the first thing I would tell you, if somebody knocks on your door and they want to speak to you about an investigation, I would not speak to them without your attorney. You have no obligation to speak to someone who's trying to do a cast a net or do a deep dive on a situation where if they had the authority and the ability, they would come they would come with an arrest warrant and they would arrest you. So don't don't give up information to anyone without your attorney president, especially when we see the pendulum that has swung now for the political agenda. And none of these cases are based on evidence. They're just trying to do a deep dive and, and, and maybe catch you up on something or catch you in some type of uh, uh, situation that they weren't aware of that they can use against you. So don't do it. Don't talk to them. Tell them, no, no, thank you. I'm not talking to you. I have an attorney. Let them walk away. I think the second thing you can do is be aware of your surroundings. When you're going, when you're traveling on an air, aircraft or you're in the airport, look at your ticket. If you've got quad S's, you've got a problem. You need to keep that ticket too. Don't throw that ticket away. That's evidence. If you get a boarding pass and you've got quad, quad S's on it, you keep that as, as evidence. That's, a, that's evidence. The second thing I would do is I'd take a picture of that boarding pass and I would file a complaint directly to TSA. I would go to TSA's hotline. I would call. I'd write letters to my Congress, my senators. Anybody in my hometown, if that happened to me and I had that boarding pass, I would complain to every person that would listen, to include the mayor and the county commissioner of the city and the county that I lived in, because it's not a, it's not appropriate. And if you don't take control of that yourself, you could be on this list for a very, very long time. Is there any recourse that people have to actually get themselves taken off? Is there a, like a, a, a process to do that, or is it just make enough noise and, and some people have been removed? Uh, TSA, they, they said, they've said that they have a process that you can submit information to them and they can remove you from the list. If you go to their website, I've never seen that, uh, process take place. I've never seen anybody removed from that list. 
I, I say that you have to you have to take the bull by the horns on this one. Reach out to us, Kyle. Look, if there's anybody that's out there and, and this has happened to them and they don't know what to do, please reach out to the Air Marshal National Council. We'll be glad to help point you in the right directions. We have a big Rolodex. We have a lot of contacts. And it's my understanding there's getting ready to be an incredible uh, large lawsuit filed regarding this issue. Uh, so folks, uh, stay tuned for some more information on, on the litigation that comes forward. And what we hope from that, Kyle, we want to find out who did this because some wrongs can't be undone. And this is just a wrong and it can't be undone. So the next step is going to have to be accountability uh, on who, who decided to do this. And there was criminal intent. Did they conspire with others to do this to Americans? So there's a lot there's a lot of facts that need to be brought up. And I hope this upcoming litigation is going to do that. When you say criminal intent, you're talking about the people that actually put people's names on the list. Correct. I'm talking about the individuals that looked and went into this national computer database where I'm talking about the law enforcement officers or the analyst or whoever entered this information into the computer. That was criminal. This was not a mistake. That was a criminal intent. They knew what they were doing. They knew they had no evidence. There was no proof. And they did it anyway. Those individuals need to be held accountable. They do not need to be in government service. They need to be fired and potentially prosecuted because if I manipulated a national computer database, look, the FBI just went into an individual that stole information from America and enlisted it on gaming board apps, right, to get, he took information. What's the difference of somebody taking information or planting information that's not true? They're the same thing. Yeah, falsely moving uh, government resources. It's it's another fraud, waste, and abuse problem. Uh, probably different statutes that are covered it, but yet still a, a real issue. Um, as I understand it, Bill and his wife did speak to those agents. That's correct? They did. They and, did speak to them. And and your experience as a police officer and, and when you've done your job, you go talk to people uh, as a fam too. People talk to you. Is that not <laughs> kind of the general? They do. What uh, what are some motive like some ways that people can can realize that they can politely refuse? I, I assume like just like me, if someone told me, "Hey, piss off," um, I'm more than happy to piss off. Actually, like it doesn't bother me at all. I get paid the same either way. Uh, did you ever see anybody sort of take that personally, where they said, "Look, I'm represented. I would like to talk with my only one of my attorneys here." I mean, I have seen it. I have some have seen people take it personally. I've seen I've seen law enforcement officers take it personal. Mm -hmm. We should not. We as a law enforcement officer, we should not take it personal because somebody wants to. Uh, invoke their rights. I mean, they have. This is what our country's founded on: is people having the right to invoke a right. So I never took it personal if somebody did that to me. If they wanted their attorney, then they need to have their attorney. You're one I of mean, the, yeah, you're one of the good it, guys. That... Yeah, and, and you should stay that way. Your integrity matters. You know, we go back to our integrity and who we are at the end of the day as a law enforcement officer and as an American. And for me, I'm never going to violate uh, my oath to office, even though I'm retired now. I still feel like I have a strong. Uh, part in this because I don't like what I'm seeing within the government of the agents that are doing this and they are crossing the line for a political reason that there's no way we can undo this now. This has been done and now we have to move to the next phase of holding people accountable and I hope that we can name these folks in the future, Kyle, who did this to the American people because it is just not okay. There's a lot of accountability at stake right now. Um, I know my buddy Steve Friend says the oath doesn't retire until we, or doesn't expire until we do. Uh, and I know you feel the same way. Uh, you've added a suspendables banner to your social media accounts. Tell people where they can find you. And uh, I will make sure that we put a tag on here. I'll tag you in all the posts, but I do want people to be able to see it because you've got information that I don't have and I don't see every one of your posts. And I know that you're you're busy and I'm busy all the time. So uh, tell people where they can follow you, where they can find you, maybe any of the, uh, the interviews that they can go back and look at too, just uh, free form. Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Labasco Sonia. It's my first and last name turned backwards. And you can find me there uh, at airmarshalnationalcouncil.com. You can find us there. There's an 800 number on our website. You can call us there. And, you know, I love the suspendables banner because I'm definitely a suspendable because my integrity and my oath matter more than getting a pay raise or a performance bonus. I don't want to violate anyone's rights. So I'm, I'm proudly in your category of a suspendable, Kyle. So thank you for inviting me to the group. I will hold that banner up in high standards, I promise you, being a suspendable. I'll tell you what, you actually invited yourself to the group just by your behavior. For folks uh, that are listening, that uh, if you're in the chat right now, you'll know this too. The, the Suspendables is kind of a joke brand that we came up with, and and, um, and Sonia is now one of us, 100%. Many of you are as well. A Suspendable is someone who's willing to take on some discomfort for doing the right thing, for 
whether that means losing your job, whether it means losing status, losing a friend somewhere, because you're not willing to let something that is wrong stand by and not, you're not going to do nothing. You're never going to be that person. There's a lot of us out here. Uh, many of you chose not to get the COVID shots. Many of you chose to get those shots and then you still respect other people's rights not to. And that makes you a suspendable in my book. Whether the New York Times wants to come after us and write hit pieces, let them do it. Uh, this is a group of people that I'd, I'd like to stand on the hill with. And uh, Sonia, you are certainly one of those people. Thanks so much. Tell them where that website is one more time, the uh, the Air Marshal's website. It's airmarshalnc.com. Airmarshalnc for National Council. Correct. Dot com. Dot com. And there's a contact uh, space there somewhere? Yep. There's an information form. You can fill it out, send us your name and your email. We'll get back to you as quick as we can. There's also an 800 number you can call and try to speak to one of us directly. Um, so we're here. We, and we have people calling, Kyle. We have a lot, we've had a lot of phone calls and a lot of email contacts that we're trying to help people through this because there are a lot of people that were impacted about being put on this list uh, in January 2021. Very much, uh, very much appreciate the the opportunity for people to reach out to you. Thanks so much for jumping on the show this morning and sharing this news. Uh, one more proof that people are listening to the Kyle Serafin show, including the feds, I think. And um, thanks for what you're doing out there. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Folks, follow uh, Sonia. I'm going to let her go and get back to her busy day. But uh, I really do appreciate it, Sonia. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. There she is. All, All right, folks. Uh, Sonia Labosco, you've got to follow her on Twitter. Again, it's Labosco. Sonia. It's backwards. I will be tagging her. You'll see her with the suspendables banner. And um, we will um, we will keep track of this stuff. I know that she's not done sharing stories. She's not done uh, jumping in and giving us any of that information. It's going to continue onward and there will be more of it. So we talked to just a little bit ago about how the FBI is happy to to miss the boat when it comes to identifying people that the FBI will um, will actually fail to ID the right person. They did it in Alaska. We talked about the Hoopers case. There's another case out there that I think is also worth looking at. And it's it's maybe maybe even more egregious in some ways. And I'm going to try to bring up this story here. So if you'll give me just one second, we're going to transition this stuff right over. Let me go on and pull up our Chrome browser. There it is. Okay. So let's take a peek at this. This is a story that many of you are familiar with. This is actually uh, the Hill reporting. This is a couple days back. There was the FBI and local authorities offering, it started off at, uh, I think, $50,000, and it actually bumped up to, I want to say it was like $100,000. It was a six-figure reward that they were offering for this uh, for this individual. He was a Mexican national who shot five people and then went on the run and got away, and so they were trying to hunt him down, Right. Um, I'm going to read this real piece. This is the backstory. So if you don't follow, uh, you know, pay attention to these kind of things, if you're not normally watching this stuff, this is a story that was big here. I'm in Texas. Uh, this happened in the the Houston uh, field office's jurisdiction. It says the Houston FBI and local authorities in Texas are offering a combined $80,000 reward. Like I said, I think it's higher for the arrest of a mass shooting suspect who allegedly shot and killed five people in a town north of Houston. And the uh, the sheriff, so the sheriff was interviewed and said, we have over 200 law enforcement professionals from state local agencies trying to bring this man into custody so we can bring justice to the five victims. And that was going to be uh, coming from the special agent, James Smith. He must be the public affairs guy. Smith says that the FBI be uh, offering an additional $25,000 for Francisco Oropezo. Oropezo. So Francisco was a Mexican national and got involved in the shooting. So the FBI did what they did. They, uh, they they did a law enforcement assist. They were trying to track this guy down. And uh, I'm getting in the chat that the, the it went up to $130,000 total reward offered. Uh, it sounds like someone didn't actually capitalize on this because what happened was the FBI went out on their Twitter page. They went out on all the social medias. And for those who don't understand this, the FBI gets free social media promotion. A lot of information is put out there for free. And they are more than happy to take the free publicity. Um, essentially, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of free advertising. And they used all of that to show a picture of this gentleman, uh, I guess not gentleman at all, this, uh, the scumbag Francisco Oropezo, and they used the wrong photo. And we talk about the differences in photographs and getting the wrong picture, um, and being able to identify a subject. I looked at the two pictures side by side. What they did is they took an individual who was of Mexican descent, who had a mustache, just like Francisco did. Um, 
had hair. And I guess that was it because the hairline was different. The ears were different lobes versus attached versus detached. As I said, this is big stuff. It's really easy, but this is frontline basic investigative work when you're trying to translate a picture into a person. And they used a, instead of a mugshot, which I guess this guy had because he'd been deported multiple times um, for different violations of U.S. law, they used a commercial driver's license photo of a man who's just a married individual who has a truck driving business. So you've just taken a guy who did nothing wrong and you're going to put him along the picture in the, or you put his picture along the caption that he was a mass murderer, killed five people. I'm sure that was devastating to him. I actually saw his brother on Twitter was mouthing off about it, which appropriately so. His brother had last commented on Twitter in something like the middle of 2022. It'd been a long time since he'd been on, probably almost a year. He's not a Twitter guy, but went to Twitter to let people know, hey, you took a picture of my brother's commercial driver's license, his CDL photo, and posted it on the story looking for this guy. So that's, uh, it's, it's disgusting and it's frustrating, but it's, uh, it's just sort of, what else are you going to do with an FBI that does that? And so then we get news last night. They actually captured this individual. I'm going to actually flip over to it because this is, this is classic FBI as well. I've had people reach out to me from local law enforcement saying this has been their experience with the FBI for a long time. So this is a breaking tweet from last night. Uh, this was released at 9.50 local time. I'm, I'm in Texas, so central time. And th it says... Breaking, uh, the San Jacinto County Sheriff, Greg Capers, and the FBI, Houston, have announced that Francisco Oropezo has been captured, all caps. He was arrested this evening around 645 at a home in Conroe, Texas. I believe it turned out to be a family member, uh, something like that. Um, he was arrested after the FBI received an anonymous tip with his location. Hashtag Cleveland, Texas shooting. And there's the, the actual picture of this guy with the words captured superimposed over his head. My response to them is captured, not by the FBI, because the FBI didn't take this man into custody. Uh, I said, great work to those on the BORTAC team who weren't running after January 6th misdemeanor cases, and they had time to do some actual law enforcement. So we've got, we've got a federal agency, the Border Patrol, who has an outstanding tactical team. I had members of uh, retired members of Border Patrol, and I'm friends with members who are current Border Patrol agents reach out to me and tell me, hey, this was Bortec going in there. They did the right thing, and uh, they're a fantastic organization. Uh, actually, the deputy commander of Bortrack, former deputy commander, uh, owned my last house and uh, sold it to me. He was a great guy, really, really a good person. His brother is a friend of mine, too, used to be my neighbor. And, you know, you, you meet certain people, and you just know that the way they carry themselves, the way that they, they move around, he's humble, he's uh, motivated, he's all the things that you'd expect. And uh, Bortak, now now the hero twice in Texas in the last uh, few months, they were the ones in Uvalde who solved the problem and went in and did the right job. Uh, despite the fact that the local police was holding the line and, and doing a barricaded subject treatment, they went in and actually stopped things. So thank God for Bortak on that. And then in the same way, this guy's obviously a violent murderer. This is someone who's killed five people. And uh, now on the run, they call it the mad dog time. It's when you're on the run from the police from a violent crime. And so deadly force is almost always on the table. It's something that has to be considered. This guy was known to be armed and dangerous. And they took him into custody without incident because uh, they're very good at what they do. And they grabbed this guy. I saw him being loaded up into a, a vehicle on some of the, the footage that was out there on the Internet. And, hey, man, uh, great job, Bortak. What a weird thing that the FBI in Houston was taking credit for it. And they're also taking credit for the tip. There was some conflicting reporting coming out of the Fox News channels stating that they, in fact, were the ones who uh, got the tip, they being Border Patrol got the tip, not the FBI. So what a weird world where this this FBI, um, you know, Twitter account is going to start taking credit for it. I'm going to read you some of the stuff off it. Actually, I'll just bring it up here. So there's there's the tweet. There's a whole thread. And uh, there's an ASAC whose name is James Paul or Jimmy Paul. And so they quoted him. I, people are doing eye rolls left and right when I'm re-quoting this because I just think they just own themselves on this stuff. So let me look over here and uh, bear with me. It says, thank you to all the FBI personnel and partner, partner law enforcement agencies who've worked nonstop to arrest this individual uh, to try to bring some justice to the five victims and return a sense of security back to the San Jacinto County community. That's attributed to ASAC Paul. And then this is the one that's really kind of just a, it's an eye roll or makes you want to puke, but it says, quote, this is what we do. We show up, we bring all available resources and we don't let up. ASAC Jimmy Paul on the FBI's role in the search of the subject that resulted in Bortak bringing him in. So that's what the FBI does. They bring in Bortak, apparently. 
Um, look, I've been on manhunts. I've been on manhunts like this. We actually had a uh, uh, an individual who was a top 10 most wanted fugitive out of Texas. It was a local situation, but then they have what's called unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. It's a UFAP warrant that becomes federal. And uh, so we, we ran after this guy. It was in Arlington, either Arlington or maybe Alexandria. I can't remember which one it was. It was MS-13 subject. He was a, he was, he shot a federal informant and a couple others. And this is going back to maybe 2017, maybe early 2018. I ended up getting a, a letter of thanks because I was involved in the operation. But this, the, the FBI actually did that operation, you know, tracked the person down in our field office, uh, in our air, area of responsibility in, outside of Washington field office. And then um, we're sitting there watching a the house. We see the guy get out on a bicycle. We positively ID the subject. We follow him, you know, eyeballs on kind of what we call picket fencing. There's a technique you can do where you're not moving, but you're passing the the eyeball off and describing him. He was on a you know bicycle riding down to the corner store and, you know, ID'd. Got him on board, ended up having someone approach him when he was, you know, buying a Snickers bar and took him into custody. That was actual FBI work. It was done with a bunch of other people as well. You know, there were other local law enforcement agencies. And I think the actual arrest ended up being a uniformed cop. So, you know, at least there was a, a heavy part of it. I'm looking forward to hearing that the FBI actually was involved in this and that they weren't just trying to claim credit. I hope, I hope. That when you say things like, this is what we do, we show up and bring all the available resources, it doesn't mean that you just let other people uh, do the work and you take, you know, take the credit for it. So um, strange, strange times, kind of a strange braggadocious thing. But as many people have told me, this is fairly common in the world of how the FBI takes credit for things. I'm going to bring up another story here, too. It's on Twitter, so it's going to be the easiest way for me to find it. So if you'll bear with me, there was a story... Uh, that I just talked about on Emerald Robinson's show. And it is an individual that is a former FBI agent. This is kind of a, a wild situation. We talk about why people in, um, why the FBI, here it is. So why why is the FBI taking credit for certain things? What, you know, Why is it having Bortak do it when it should have been an FBI SWAT team if that was an FBI case? And the reason is because they're out doing these arrests on January 6th defendants. I'm going to read to you from the criminal complaint signed by Agent Jessica Stone via phone of this is a criminal complaint which resulted in the arrest warrant of a former FBI agent out of the New York field office, no longer an FBI agent, uh, retired is my understanding, named Jared Wise. So this says, I, the complainant, that's going to be the agent, state the following are true to the best of my knowledge or belief that on or about the date of January 6, 2021, this is a J6 case, just remember how far back that is, that's over three years ago, 27... I'm sorry, more than two years ago. It's 27 months, 28 months, something like that. Um, in the county of blank, in the district of blank, so District of Columbia, there's no counties. The defendant violated 18 USC 1752. That's knowing, knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building or grounds without lawful authority. This is a trespassing charge. Uh, 18 USC 1752A2. That's knowingly or with and with the intent to impede or disrupt orderly conduct of government um Government officials or official functions, these are so wordy, <laughs> engaged in dis disorderly or disruptive conduct. So there you go. Now we have trespassing and disorderly conduct. 40 USC 5104, uttering loud, threatening, or abusive language or engaging in disorderly or disruptive conduct uh, at any place in the grounds or in the Capitol buildings with the intent to impede or disrupt. So there's a threatening language, offensive language. And the last one is 40 USC 5404. Again, it's another piece, parading or demonstrating or picketing in any of the Capitol buildings. So a parading charge, a trespassing charge, a uh, disruptive disorderly conduct charge, and then abusive language. This is the reason that the FBI sent 17 armed agents. I'm going to just show you the tweet here. This comes from a, a friend. This is Mike Waller's Twitter feed. Good good uh, feed to follow. If you're not following, it's a good good and worth your time. J. Michael Waller, W-A-L-L-E-R, uh, at J. Michael Waller. He said 17 FBI agents swarm a Bend, Oregon home. He didn't say Bend, but I know it was in Bend, Oregon, uh, in the early morning hours to arrest one of their own, the alleged crimes, these four misdemeanors for January 6th, trespassing, illegal parading, yelling and calling names, etc. The defendant is a former New York field office special agent named Jared Wise. Um. So some of the things that he's alleged to have said, he was saying some angry things. He was calling the cops on the front lines Nazis. I get it. It's ugly. 
Um, he was saying, you know, he was encouraging people that were fighting with the cops, possibly saying, kill him, kill him. I would have to see the video before. Again, this is an allegation the FBI has made. And so that's not great. But we're talking about angry language. We're talking about someone that wasn't actually participating in any violence. So we're talking about somebody who's a retiree. So the guy looks like he's in his 50s. And he's fit, you know, but he's walking in the Capitol. I saw the video earlier this morning on uh, on Emerald Show. And literally, the guy walks in. He's got his hand on somebody's shoulder, and he's following the crowd. He didn't break down the door. He's in the back. Um, he's maybe 30 seconds behind Ashley Babbitt going in through the door and walking into the uh, into the the chambers of the of this, the U.S. Capitol. So there it is. He walked in and he marched around. He was wearing a face mask, which is always interesting. It's interesting that they have no problem identifying people wearing a face mask from January 6th. And yet the attorney general said it was dark and people wear masks. And it's really hard to find people that destroyed uh, pregnancy centers, things like that. So, you know, what a, what a gross way to spend FBI resources. And I can tell you, people are wondering, well, was this guy fed? Was he doing this thing? First of all, he was arrested. So you should say that uh, he was probably well on the outs with the agency by the time this goes down. They don't arrest people that are their buddies uh, and that are informants and that are working operations. So we just got to call the spade a spade. The second thing is, though, is that I can't tell you how many how many FBI agents I talk to, but it's a handful. It's a, a, a solid handful that are retired or were, were close to retirement on January 6, 2021, that were planning on going down to that demonstration. Because a lot of agents also had problems with that election. They were concerned about what it meant. They were concerned about um, what the FBI was doing about it, which appeared to be nothing. There were questions being asked in my squad. Hey, what are we doing? Why is this? And we were basically told to sit down and shut up and color. So that's not a good feeling. And so people wanted to go and protest. They wanted to go out there and see what, what the president was going to say and what sort of answers were going to come out of that speech at the Ellipse on January 6th of 2021. And, and I, I told people, don't go down there. It always felt like a trap. I don't know why it felt like that. I just knew it wasn't going to be a good a good thing to be a part of, even though I had the same instincts to go and do that. It's like, I want to be part of it, but I'm not trying to show up there when all of the lead up to it gave us every indication that things were going to go sideways. Um, they obviously went far more sideways than any of us could have anticipated, but a number of careers were probably saved by that advice. So that's kind of funny. I'm not taking credit for it. They made their own decisions, but I did uh, add some advice to it. And that's to say that there were plenty of people that were both federal agents and retired federal agents that felt the same way that I did, that didn't think that things were right. And some of them went down to the to the Capitol grounds and, you know, a number of them didn't. Uh, I'm seeing in the chat that people are talking about the pipe bomber not being uh, being caught. I think there's more and more is going to come out about that. But I agree with you that the real terrorist act happened on January 6th was the pipe bombing. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter what political ideology. I don't know if the person was on the left or the right. Supposedly, these bombs were left. Supposedly, they weren't real, right? So we know that sort of thing. Um, you know, they didn't. They didn't uh, appear to be to be functional. But the danger is, is like, why are we not talking about the pipe bomber? Why is that not the number one priority? Because bombs are an indiscriminate tool. Uh, I know that those of you who served overseas know a lot about the improvised explosive device, the IED threat. It's incredibly scary. I've done enough training on it to know how scary that thing is. Um, they can go off at random times. They could be triggered. They could be command wired. They could be pressure plates. They could be timers. They could be set off by a phone, but they don't really have that ability to target because once they go off, nobody's really going to be able to perfectly estimate how a improvised explosive is going to detonate, who's going to be there, who's going to be the unintended consequences and uh, so there's there's a lot of reporting that needs to still be done on this. There's a lot of questions that should be asked. And the real question should be, why in the world is the FBI taking 17 agents to go and arrest this guy who's a former FBI agent when, in fact, they could have been uh, just they could have just called him up and issued a summons? I call this episode the complaint department because of two reasons. Number one, um, I need you to know that there are places that you can complain if you are being followed because of January 6th stuff. And that's why we brought on Sonia. That's really important to me. The second thing is this. I want you to take a look at what's going on with people who are being arrested over January 6th. Some of you will know uh, people in there. Some of you are, are paying attention to social media and knowing what they're all about. These January 6th defendants are overwhelmingly being arrested under complaints. And there are two ways that the, uh, that the Bureau and, and actually federal law enforcement in general can come after you with an arrest warrant. The first and most common, and by most common, I mean it is almost always used. Uh, Steve Friend and I compared notes. There's no reason not to do this. It's known as uh, an indictment, 
Many of you are familiar with that term. What that means is, is that you presented a case, you and, an, and a prosecutor, in the case of the FBI, it's going to be an assistant United States attorney, go in front of a grand jury. The agent swears in and they bring in anybody else that needs to be done, but usually an agent is enough. And they basically run you through the case and you describe the probable cause and the jury then votes in a you know closed door session. The agent steps out and they decide whether or not they're going to issue what's called a true bill, which is an indictment or no bill. No bill means they are not indicted. They do not see probable cause to believe something happened. When they give you a true bill, you now have an indictment from a federal grand jury that says that there's probable cause to believe that the person that you have implicated in a crime has committed that crime. And then you can go seek a number of different ways to bring them into custody. And depending on the crime, they they issue either an arrest warrant, which is sometimes appropriate, oftentimes, but sometimes they issue a summons. And those are oftentimes when you are negotiating back and forth with an attorney, when you know the person's represented and they've been compliant and they've showed up for interviews on times and things like that. It's uh, something that when you've got, uh, you know, a former FBI agent who knows the game and we're talking about a nonviolent offense, essentially, this is, you know, trespassing and name calling and walking around illegally. This is an easy way for you to issue that sort of thing. Very simple. You go get a summons. This is a 27 month old thing. Now, the other way you can go is called a complaint. And the complaint is important. A complaint generally is used in exigent circumstances when there is an imminent danger or an imminent need to lock somebody up. In fact, a complaint can be sworn out after the fact. Sometimes you will have to arrest somebody because they are actively committing a crime or they are in active danger to the public. And there is probable cause to believe they are the, the committing a federal crime. You can arrest them on a complaint or you can file a complaint after you arrest them. And that is a different kind of tool. Now, that's always going to be an arrest warrant. It always issues with an arrest warrant, which Steve and I have speculated. Um, I had an interview today where they quoted him saying that the process is the punishment, something that he and I say to each other all the time. The process is the punishment because this guy was arrested on a criminal complaint. And it was a criminal complaint about something that was totally nonviolent. It's something that makes no sense to do. This is not the only way they've done this. I've seen this in a number of cases by the FBI. And criminal complaints, my like many agents will go their entire career without ever issuing a single criminal complaint, without ever swearing one out, because it's not a tool that needs to be used. People who do Indian country that got to go grab a guy that's going to beat up his old lady, somebody that got out of jail. In my case, we did one in Las Cruces because we had a, an individual who was locked up in county jail and on a recorded phone call, he threatened the lives of multiple state and federal judges. Now, I think he wanted to be locked up again. That's fine. It doesn't matter. But he made credible threats, said, I have a plan to do this. Here's my name. I'm doing this thing. I'm making threats against federal judges. So we went and locked the guy up. That's what has to happen. You got to go out there and do it. Uh, you're foolish not to. And that's the only time that I had to issue a complaint. A guy who had made an active threat, who had been previously in jail, he was let out of jail, and we went and rearrested him. We asked the jail to hold on to him, and they couldn't do it. It was a county jail. So then we moved him into a federal facility. And uh, as far as I know, he was probably still up in Colorado. He's probably getting psych exams because he was kind of nutty. But end of the day, these are not a common tool being used. When the FBI starts issuing complaint after complaint after complaint, and if you look, this is the most important part of this complaint here. Let's see if it's on this particular page or the other page. It's not on this. Oh, yes, it is. Um, check this out. So if you're watching on Rumble, you can see this. The complaint was assigned to a, uh, a magistrate judge in the District of Columbia on 4-12, April 12th, okay? April 12th was the date that that complaint was sworn out. He was arrested on May the 2nd, on May the 2nd. So 20 days lapsed, that should be a big problem for you. There, well, tell me something that is exigent about a nonviolent trespassing and yelling and being, um, you know, being a generalized jerk and parading around in the U.S. Capitol 27 months after the fact, what exigent circumstances required a complaint? And then also they sat on it for 20 days. Okay. That is what weaponization looks like. Weaponization of the federal government looks like the FBI using a tool for exigent circumstances for non-exigent circumstances where they know that they will get an arrest warrant and they can take 17 agents to the door of a former FBI agent who would have obviously, most likely, turned himself in on this thing. This is a misdemeanor. If, uh, if you're not familiar with federal charges, felonies are one year or greater when it comes to the uh, the amount of 
uh, prison time that you could face misdemeanors are necessarily less than one year. So this is a guy who's facing less than a year in jail. Most likely he has no prior offenses. They may hold it against him that he's a, uh, you know, that he's a former law enforcement officer. But at the end of the day, you know, this is not a major charge he's looking at. These are misdemeanors. They won't even stop you from being able to hold on to a gun. So this is crazy stuff and it is totally being abused. They're weaponizing the FBI using this, this complaint process. Hence, like I said, the Department of Complaints right now, they're issuing them left and right so that they can get the check mark. And I think there's something a little bit more devious. I didn't mean to hold on to this to the end, but here's the devious piece of it. In sales, there's a process that's known as the soft close. When you're selling somebody something, some of you guys have experienced this. Uh, you've been out there and you've been soft closed. What they do is they say, if I had this thing that met these conditions, would you be interested in it? And you say, yes. And they say, if I had this, uh, you know, if I could get it to you at a price that you could afford, would you be interested in it? And you say, yes. The goal of a soft close, that's a very overt soft close, by the way. But a soft close is getting you to say yes, yes, and yes. Because people who start saying yes end up saying yes to the end. I think that the FBI has been soft closing a lot of agents. They're sending people out to people like Bill's wife um, and, uh, and, and the federal air marshal Bill that we heard about from Sonia's interview. They're sending people out to Jared Wise. They're sending people out to Northern Virginia on these nonviolent, no excuse to have a criminal complaint arrest warrants. They're putting them out there and they're getting agents to say yes and go do these actions. Because at the end of the day, those are straining the, the policy constraints that the FBI should be operating under. But they're getting people to say yes, even though they should be throwing the flag and saying, why don't we just summon this guy? How come none of those 17 agents stood up and said, you know what? Why don't we just issue a summons? He's a former agent. We could just call him. And he'll probably turn himself in. You know, if it needs to be a manhunt, the United States Marshal Service does it all day. They get paid for it. So what? They don't care. It's not going to be coming to that. This is a guy where you actually know where his pension check is sent. Because he's getting a pension from the FBI, as I understand it. Okay? So very simply, it doesn't make any sense to do this process unless they're soft-closing the agents. And they are getting them to say yes for something much bigger. I think a lot of folks have that instinct. This is what the weaponization committee that Jim Jordan's people should be looking into. What other things are they doing? And I know it's more than just the FBI. I know other law enforcement is getting the same treatment. 17 people showed up at that house with guns drawn to take in a former agent because they're saying yes, and they should be asking questions. Um, I hope that the answer to this sort of what's coming next doesn't involve them rounding up guns, them trying to crush otherwise constitutionally protected liberties. There's a lot of possibilities that we could see that are very, very dangerous because when people start saying yes, they stop thinking. And when they stop thinking, then they are not doing the easiest thing in the world, which is to just ask the simple question, why are we here? What are we doing? Is this what we should be doing? And I, I would I would argue to you that it really is not. All right, folks, um, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for all of you in the live chat joining us. I will go back and review some of these questions. If there's something on there, I will uh, cover them on the next one. Uh, thanks for being so kind and gracious to let us try this new live thing. And, uh, and I'm very grateful again for Sonia for joining me. If you look in my Twitter, you can follow me at Kyle Serafin. You can see um, True Social at Kyle Serafin. I'm on YouTube with some same thing uh, on Rumble. It's Kyle Serafin. It's Kyle Serafin slash live rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live to catch our live shows at, uh, starting at 930 Eastern time, 830 in Central Time, Texas, America. Uh, please Share the show with your friends. Give us that uh, those five-star reviews on Apple. We've crossed the threshold well over 400. Uh, earlier this week, we were at 380-something, and we are now up to 416 ratings. Really grateful for you guys. Keep pushing us. It moves us up in the rankings. Apple had us rated the number eight podcast. I think it was for the day, but in politics, nationwide, number eight. That's insane. That's way too high for what I'm doing right now. But I'm very, very grateful that you are out there looking at those things. I do want to read one of the five-star reviews we had, which was great. Uh, this was highlighted on... True Social as well. The uh, the review is by Prince Feet. I don't know who Prince Feet is, but I love I love the name. Uh, Prince Feet says inspiring, uh, inspirational, and terrifying. This isn't my parents' United States anymore. But thankfully, there are some patriots left to fight the good fight. It takes a certain kind of person to go up against this corrupt government of ours. But people like Kyle and his guests give the rest of us hope. Thanks for bringing the evil 
into the light. Folks, that's what we're all about here. Transparency, shining a light in the dark places, letting the cockroaches scurry as they must, and making sure that you know what it is that you're paying for with your tax dollars, whether that be FBI agents showing up at a federal air marshal's house, or whether it be them arresting one of our own, um, when they could have done something much less dramatic. They are in the dramatic business right now. So be aware of it, share it with your friends, like, share, subscribe. If you'll throw, throw a comment down there on the Rumble channel, I love to respond to those too. If there's questions, I answer them. If they're funny statements, I'll laugh with you. And uh, if you have something nasty to say, I'm happy to hear it too. Set it up there uh, by all means. Um, thank you very much for joining us for the Kyle Serafin Show. I will see you all again on Friday morning, again at 9.30 Eastern time, 8.30 Central. And uh, I hope you have a great middle of this week. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.